and handed it across. He could see the soldier glancing at his nails, noticing how neatly trimmed and varnished they were. Burton pointed. The minister is in that room down there. Matt Browning slipped his right hand inside the soft white cotton of Jill's blouse. He could feel her breast stiffen beneath his palm. His left hand worked its way along her back. They'd been together nearly two years now, and Matt knew the spots and how to work them. He could hear her breath quickening. Outside, a hundred feet below her twelfth-story apartment, waves were crashing against the rocks of the Marbella shoreline. His hands moved faster across her skin, unclasping her bra, plunging inside her jeans. Their lips collided. Matt could feel her hands unbuckling the belt of his trousers. He tore the jeans from her, and suddenly he was on top of her, his face nuzzling into the soft skin of her neck, his body thrusting into her. Half an hour later, Matt lay back on the sofa, quiet, sensory satisfaction running through his body. Christ, he thought, how do I possibly tell her? Standing, Matt reached for his boxer shorts and pulled them up. That temper of hers... That was what worried him. He took a deep breath. Two hours later, Matt filled his lungs and looked out across the Mediterranean. The insults and abuse Jill had flung at him were still stinging in his ears. He started to run, his feet hitting a steady rhythm against the sand. Running had always been his way of relaxing, sharpening his reactions and clearing his mind. It had been running that had first taken him into the army and then into the SAS. It was quickness and agility that had qualified him for the special forces. He wasn't the toughest soldier they'd ever seen, but he was one of the fastest. It hurts now, he told himself, but I've done the right thing. A man shouldn't marry unless he's able to offer his wife something better than debts and death threats. Jill deserves better than that. If I love her, and I do, then it's better this way. For a moment, Matt paused to consider what his life without Jill might be like. He'd known her most of his life. Her older brother, Damien, had been his best friend when they were all growing up together in South London. For years, she'd just been Damien's funny little sister. But once she moved out here to Marbella, after her family started the bar, he realised she'd blossomed into a poised young woman. The bar at the last trumpet was starting to come to life as Matt stepped onto the balcony. He picked up some of the post lying on the side of the bar. Bills and bank statements... He didn't need to open them to know that the news would be bad. Salum moved down the hotel corridor and knocked lightly on the door. David Brent, the minister's assistant, opened it. Some tea, Mrs. Al-Kazim, or maybe some water. Salum shook his head. He quickly scanned the room. Two men, both middle-aged and weak. No cameras, no other security guards. David Landau stood up and offered his hand. Pleased to meet you, Mrs. Alkazim. Beneath his black robes, Salum dug his hands into the pockets of his jeans and pulled out the Heckler & Koch P7 pistol. He'd chosen the P7 because of its unique firing system. As soon as you gripped the handle, it was unlocked and ready to fire. It was the fastest gun he knew of. Leaning forward on his left foot, he thrust the pistol upwards from his body, the gun breaking through the robes. He levelled the pistol on Landau and loosed off three rounds in close succession. Then he turned the pistol towards Brent, now starting to flee towards the door. 
Salum stabbed the trigger three times. Each of the six shots was effectively muzzled by the silencer, the noise no louder than a cork being pulled from a wine bottle. Landau fell backwards. Brent crumpled into a heap on the floor. Salum knelt next to Brent, clipped a fresh magazine into the P7, wedged the barrel of the pistol into his eardrum, and squeezed the trigger. He stood, walked three paces to where Landau lay sprawled across the sofa, rammed the pistol into his open mouth, fired, and stood back. The work completed, Salum sat opposite the door, gun in hand. The meeting was scheduled to last half an hour. To leave early would look suspicious. The chatter and buzz of the early evening cocktail hour had already started to fill the bar. Matt swung open the door to the back office. He only owned a fifth of the bar, and Janie was the manageress, but he always looked after the paperwork. He sometimes suspected that the main reason Damien had wanted him to come in as an investor, along with Kazanov, was so he'd have a man he could rely on to add the night's takings and get the cash into the bank the following morning without getting robbed. The light was flickering from the computer screen. Matt logged onto the internet. He suspected the news wasn't going to be good. He'd learnt about trading shares just after he got out of the SAS and picked up a job bodyguarding Harry Stroller, an American internet entrepreneur. Despite their different paths through life, Matt and Harry were men chiselled from the same stone. They were both 35, physically fit and mentally alert. They both liked to drink beer and chase girls, and neither minded taking a risk. The only real difference, Matt sometimes reflected as he sat for hours outside board meetings, was that Harry could program a computer and work a spreadsheet, and he could throw a knife and fire a gun. Harry's skills paid millions, and Matt's a few thousand. After three months, Harry started giving Matt share tips. At the height of the dot-com bubble, that was a valuable commodity. Soon the tips were a lot more valuable than the job. Matt was making five or ten times his salary just by trading shares. At the end of the job, he'd made a quarter of a million. It was enough to buy him his share in the last trumpet, to invest in a flat in London, and a silver Porsche Boxster, and to keep trading. That was Matt's biggest mistake. Without Harry to tell him what to buy and sell, his capital soon evaporated. Then the debts started to mount. It wasn't greed. I was just trying to make the money for you, Jill, to give us a decent life together. Matt looked towards the computer screen. The shares in his portfolio were displayed in neat tables. Ten different stocks, all of them purchased in the last six months. All of them with borrowed money, and all of them trading heavily down. At a rough calculation, Matt reckoned he owed half a million. And the people he owed it to didn't just charge interest. They killed you. Matt glanced towards Alison once, looked away, then found his eyes moving back towards her. She was tall, with tumbling blonde hair. A woman, Matt judged, who knew her way around the gym as well as the bedroom. She was wearing tight leather trousers and a pink silk blouse with just enough cleavage on display to hook your interest without looking tarty. What's a girl like that doing in a bar known locally as the last strumpet? Keith, standing next to Matt in the bar, held up a newspaper. British minister killed in Saudi Arabia. They must have had inside help. Otherwise, how could they have got to the man? Not with the security he'd have around him. Matt stole another glance at Alison. 
She had a way of growing on you. He looked back towards Keith. There's always a way of getting to a man. You reckon, said Keith. How then? Keith claimed to be a former policeman, but Matt wasn't sure he believed him. Too loud, too cocky. A traffic cop, maybe. I'm not telling you, mate, said Matt. I might want to kill you one of these days. No point in telling you in advance how I'm going to do it. If you were going to kill me, said the woman, how would you do that? He turned. Alison was standing just a few inches behind him, her eyes looking straight up at his, her lips poised on the cusp of a smile. Meticulous preparation, said Matt. That would be the key. I'd have to get to know everything about you. Where you live, what you do, what interests you, what excites you. I'd want to know what your passions are. My passions? Sure. A woman's passions are her main weakness. Alison's lips drew back into a smile. I reckon the only killing you know about is lady killing. That's probably the most dangerous sort. He took a bottle of Moëté Chandon from behind the bar and opened it. The beach, he suggested to the woman, was the perfect place to drink champagne on a warm, sunny evening. Matt took her arm and guided her gently down the steep metal staircase that led from the terrace to the seafront. He sat on one of the rocks that jutted out from the beach towards the sea. I don't even know your name. Alison. Matt fell silent. It was only two days since he'd split with Jill. Her parting words still echoed through his thoughts, and the image of her tears still burned in his memory. But he'd made his choice. He must learn to live with it. You're quiet, said Alison. Just thinking. She leaned forward and brushed her lips against his. Matt moved his face towards her. The kiss turned into a long...